Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Hey, today we're continuing, actually closing out our series that we've been in throughout the last month called Grow Up. Grow up. In this series, we've been challenged to grow up in our faith. We started this series uh, four weeks ago by saying that the reality is um, we've all had somebody in our life, a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, a boss, a coach, or perhaps even a spouse that's looked at us and said, grow up, all right? Don't act your shoe, shy, your shoe size, act your age, all right? Be mature, be an adult, all right? And, and so we've all been called to grow up in life, but the reality is that Scripture calls us to grow up in our faith. And so this series has been all about challenging us to get out of the spiritual nursery. The reality is we've been going to church for years. Some of you, you've been calling yourselves a Christian for years, but you are still in the spiritual nursery. And so this series has been pushing us, it's been challenging us um, to be different, to take steps of faith, to grow in Christ-likeness, and to grow up in our faith. And so every week we've, we kicked off by reading these two verses um, from Ephesians 4 in the message translation. And so I want to do it one final time today. You guys look at it on the screen with me. Here's what it says, Ephesians 4.15. God wants us to, what does it say? To grow up. To know the whole truth and to tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us. It nourishes us so that we will grow up healthy in God and robust in love. Scripture calls us to grow up. So this whole series has been challenging us to take that next step of faith. If you've missed any of our series, we'd love for you to go back online, catch up on the podcast or the video while you're at the gym this week, cutting the grass, so that you can take those steps. Because the reality is the whole series has been a pathway um, to growing up, to maturity in Christ. And so today I want to kind of give you this visual that summarizes our series to help you see where we've been, but also helps you understand where we're going to hopefully arrive today, the challenge is going to be made today. And so all of us in our faith journey um, are on this pathway. You guys see um, the pathway that's going to pop up on the screen behind me. We're all on a pathway. And so there's multiple stops that we take as we mature and grow up in our faith. And the first in week one, if you remember, was the stop of identity. Identity. And in week one, we ask and try to answer the question of what is your identity? Where are you in your spiritual walk? And so over the next few minutes, I want to kind of give us a recap over the last three weeks because some of you missed a week or maybe this is your first week and I want all of us to be up to speed because we have to know the beginning of the path to ultimately arrive at the end of the path today. So if you missed, here's a cliff notes um, version. Week one, we answered the question, what is your identity? And we showed three different identities. You guys remember that? Just nod with me. Awesome. Six of you were awake for that week. Okay. In that week, we saw three identities of the spiritless man or woman, the spiritual infant, and the spiritual man or woman. The spiritless man, if you'll notice on the diagram, um, has the cross outside. God is outside of their life. He's not in their life. Therefore, the things of God don't really make sense to them. They, they, they maybe don't see a need for church. I uh, don't really see a need for a relationship with Jesus. Like, I'm sure he's a good guy, but he doesn't change my life. And self sits on the throne of their life. And as a result of that, they have the characteristics that make up their life. They are helpless, they are heedless, and they are hopeless. We talked about that in week one. That second identity was that of a spiritual infant, Paul said in Corinthians. And, and the infant, something changed. Christ is in their life now, but who sits on the throne? 
Self sits on the throne, which means self calls the shots. Or we could say in our culture today, they're a really good Sunday Christian. We can play the game for 60 minutes, but Monday through Saturday, we live for what we desire. We call the shots of our life. And there were some characteristics that made up that spiritual infant as well. Characteristics like stuck. They're stuck in their relationship with God. The, the conflict. I mean, there's conflict over and over and over in their life. And as a result of that, they have a lot of frustration. And that was the spiritual infant. A lot of us kind of went, man, that's me. But then there's the spiritual man or woman. Christ now sits on the throne. And they are not perfect, but Christ calls the shots. They're growing in such a way that these things begin to become true in their life, that they have wisdom from God. They understand the things of God, that there is change happening. They're growing to look more and more like Jesus. They're not going backwards. They're going forwards. And as a result of that, they experience great power. Power of the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in them. And so we saw those three identities. And as you see those today, some of you, maybe for the very first time, I would challenge you even this moment to identify where are you? Where are you in that journey? Because the first stop on this pathway to growing up is to know where you are. Identify. Identity. Then in week two, um, we took the pathway stop of maturing. Maturing in Christ. You guys remember that? We had the high chair and the recliner up here, and all of you wanted to take that home with you. And I was like, you can't. Okay. But we, we saw the two identities, the spiritual infant and the spiritually maturing adult. And maybe for some of you, you identified with this spiritual infant who is, who is swayed easily by the, by the ways of the world. They were susceptible to the pull of temptation. Um, they were unstable in their faith. Or maybe some of you identified as the spiritual adult. The spiritual adult was confident in God's faithfulness. They were, they were grounded in the word, and ultimately they were wise because they lived with a plan. And we talked about the, the pathway is growing from here to here. It's not so much the focus on the chairs, but it's how do you mature we're called to grow up, to mature in Christ. And that was stop two. Then stop three, we saw last week, was learning and leading. And last week I told you that the greatest way for every single one of us to mature and really grow up in our faith, if you're really serious, is to be connected in an intentional life-to-life disciple-making relationship. There's not a better way for you to grow up in your faith than to have somebody who walks with you. And some of you last week were challenged to to be a learner or to be a mentor. And and I highlighted three different characteristics from Scripture on a disciple-making relationship. And I said, who do you have in your life who's encouraging you, who's comforting you, and who's kind of up in your business? They're urging you and they're challenging you. Who do you have? I'd ask you that even today. Like, who's in your life that has that permission, that does that for you? And who are you doing that for Last week, we heard a really powerful story of Linda and Georgette, two ladies in our church family who are walking that out. They're journeying through that together. And today, I want you to hear the story of two men who are part of our exchange family who have found the power of living in an intentional, life-to-life, disciple-making relationship. So you guys take a look at the screen. Whenever I was asked if I wanted to meet up with David, I was a little nervous at first, I won't lie. Uh, I'm not much of a talker. I'm not much of a people person. I have been on the receiving side of mentoring relationships before. It's long ago when when I was younger. My first concerns about being approached about being a mentor in a relationship was, am I up to this? Uh, You know, none of us are perfect, and I know that's not what we're being asked of, especially in this relationship, but I think we're asked to be open, and uh, that's something that 
happened pretty naturally, I think, between us. There were a bunch of times with my work schedule and I don't have a lot of free time. Uh, and when I do have free time, I've got hobbies that I want to do. But there were a lot of times whenever I had to just push myself. And uh, normally, if we, you know, whatever we talked about it, it seemed it always had something to do with that temptation or something that I wanted to do. And it made things easier for me. I think we met every time at McAllister's. And uh, normally after work or either that or with depending on each other's work schedule on a day off and uh, it would last from anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half. And we didn't necessarily read over the Bible every time. We would sometimes just talk about life and our weeks and how things were going. Eventually we went to whatever the scripture was, uh, I believe the New Testament scripture was on uh, our reading journal, plan, yeah. life journal. Uh, we would talk about that scripture and uh, we just went to what was happening in, in life. Probably one of the main things that David instilled in me was patience. He, uh, he prayed with me a lot. He gave me a lot of advice as far as just being patient with life and patient with people. And I've had a, a quick temper in the past and I still do something I'm constantly battling. And it just, David, it helped, it helped me out a lot. Meeting with somebody, a third party person, somebody that's not going to judge you, somebody that you can just, somebody just to vent to, you know, uh, somebody you can get advice from, and especially somebody that's that's already dealt with those problems, that's lived that life, a more mature believer. I lost my father at 14 years old, and uh, so I've never really had that father figure, so I've always kind of, I've always looked for one, and having somebody to talk to, somebody to get advice from on just, just everyday, you know, life. We draw a lot back from giving to other people. I don't think you can outgive God, and I think He gives back when you give. You were always on my side, and that was one of the biggest things, is having somebody listen to you and be 100% for you and supporting you, and then to definitely call you out whenever you make mistakes. Uh, that was something that was pretty much like a life coach. I mean, that was something that helped me out a lot. And if you think that uh, you're probably not up to it, I don't know are prepared or don't know how to prepare that God he just he'll be there for you and and it's it's a conversation uh, you know it's there's ask there's tell there's you know it's just a give and a take I, I think about the relationship of Paul and Timothy in the New Testament and you know from Paul's mentoring Timothy he probably got as much from that as Timothy did and I feel like I've gotten uh, as much as Austin has. I would just say go for it. Uh, don't waste any time. Don't, I mean, there's no point in being scared, you know, to try it. Uh, you never know until you try. There were times when I had things I had to bring to him. Uh, it was just good. It was, uh, like I said, I didn't feel like it was giving as much as it was just something we got to do and enjoy together. If I can do it, anybody can do it. I was super nervous and after the first five minutes of meeting with David, I mean, it was like we'd known each other 10 years. Just go for it. That's all I can say. It's definitely worth it. The reward is great. That's the power of living life to life where you are growing together. You're never called to grow alone. 
And last week as a part of uh, part three of the pathway, we introduced you to a new next step for our family called Life to Life Learning, where we don't grow alone, but we grow together just like you saw in David and Austin's story. And so um, some of you were here last week and maybe you didn't take that step because you're like, I don't know if I'm ready. Some of you were here uh, or maybe weren't here and you didn't hear about what that looked like. But last week we challenged you um, to either step into one of those relationships. For some of you, that's a learner. To be a learner, because you go, you know what, I'm, man, I'm, I'm really, really new to my faith, and, and I need somebody to walk alongside me as, who's a little bit more mature in their faith. And for some of you, man, you've been following Jesus for five years, 10 years, 25 years, and God's calling you to be a mentor, to walk alongside somebody, just to share life together, um, and to grow up together in a life-to-life relationship. And so last week, we introduced you um, to this next step called life-to-life learning. And so if you were here, if you weren't here, man, I'm, I'm going to put that back in front of you today because this is going to be an ongoing opportunity in our family to engage and grow together, grow together. And so on the screen, you see an email address behind me. And for some of you, um, maybe who thought about it last week and you're like, oh, maybe I should. And then you didn't. And then God wouldn't let you go all week long. And here we are again. For some of you, you're brand new and you just heard about this for the first time. Man, I'm asking you right now to write down that email address. Type it in your phone, write it on your connection card, on the back of your hand, whatever you're taking notes on. Life to life at the exchange.cc. Okay. And with that, I'm going to give you four next steps to help get you connected. Super simple things. If you'll just email your name, okay, your name to that email address. That's it. And then we're going to kick you a reply back. It's going to ask you, hey, do you feel like God's calling you to be a mentor, to invest in somebody, or to be a learner? And and have somebody invest and walk alongside you just like you saw just a second ago. And you're going to email that back to us, and then we'll send you just a few very informational questions so that we can learn about you and your schedule, your rhythm of life, what's going on. And then over the next couple of weeks, we'll work to connect you, um, man, with uh, another guy, if you're a, a male or a female, if you're a female, so that you can grow in your faith together. And the beautiful thing was this week, we already had people connecting. Relationships are beginning to form this week. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do because these people are taking steps of obedience to be serious about growing up in their faith. See, the third stop on the pathway is, is learning and leading. We're all called to do that. It's the greatest way to grow. But today, all of that leads us, the identity, the maturing, the learning and leading leads us to the final stop on the pathway. And that is this, multiply. Multiply. To be somebody who grows up in their faith, who looks more like Jesus, We are called as disciples and followers of Jesus to multiply ourselves, to multiply ourselves. I've heard it said that healthy things grow and growing things multiply. And so for you to really grow up in your faith, to not play as a baby Christian, but to really become Christ-like, it's a call to multiply. So today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to open up to a passage of scripture that's going to lead us to multiply. So if you have a copy of scripture, open up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 in the New Testament, about halfway through in the back half of your Bible. Uh, If you have a hard or digital copy of scripture, we'd love for you just to kind of have that open. If you don't, we'll put some verses from the NIV translation on the screen behind me. Philippians chapter 2 is really one of the most powerful passages passages of scripture in all the Bible. Here's why. Because it highlights the character of Jesus. It tells us about who Jesus was and how he acted. And Jesus, as we'll see today, he was the ultimate example of multiplying himself. 
He was born in a manger, came as a carpenter's son, lived in full obedience to God's purposes for his life all the way to the cross. And as a result of the way that he loved and he led others, he changed eternity all the way to you and me today. Jesus lived out the call to multiply himself to the highest extent. So we don't need another example. We're going straight to Jesus today. So Philippians chapter 2, pick up with me in verse 5. We're going to read through verse 7. It says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Here's who he was. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The first way I think that we see there that we multiply ourselves that Jesus modeled is through having a servant attitude. By having a servant attitude. Paul says Jesus' position was that in nature, he was God. He was the son of God. In other words, there wasn't a title that was higher than that. You couldn't trump Jesus' position. But Paul says, here's Jesus' posture in his position. He was the son of God, but verse 7 says he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Think about it. If anybody had the right to be served, it was Jesus. I mean, he's the son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, the savior of the world. He could heal the sick. He could raise the dead. He could make the blind see again. He deserved to be served. But scripture says that he left his position of God and he traded it in for that of a servant. What a powerful picture. Jesus was the ultimate example of a servant attitude. The New Testament tells us that in Mark 10, 45, it says this, for even the son of man, Jesus did not come to be served, but instead he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus didn't use his position to his advantage, but instead he obediently and willingly gave up his position to take on the attitude of a servant. One of the greatest pictures I think of Jesus uh, modeling this in scripture is in John chapter 13. Um, John chapter 13 is a passage that actually talks about um, this week in history leading up to the cross. Um, it was a moment where Jesus was sharing in some of the most difficult, painful moments as an earthly man. And in the midst of this week, John 13 tells us that he sits down um, with his disciples, with his guys. They sit at a meal together. And in the middle of this meal, Jesus, as clearly the most prominent person at the table, he gets up from the meal. And he takes off his robe and he wraps a towel around his waist and he fills a basin with water and he begins to go from disciple to disciple to disciple, washing their feet. Now, let's remember for a second, okay? These guys didn't roll up in chacos, all right? They, they weren't they wasn't robe in chacos, okay? They didn't have closed-toed tennis shoes or sandals, all right? They had what I like to refer to as grocery store feet. You guys know what grocery store feet is, all right? You've heard me talk about that before. Some of you, you know what it is because you had it. You grew up in the country, and when you went to the grocery store, it's like you didn't even need your shoes, okay? And you just walked in with your sh no shoes. You trudged around the grocery store, up and down the bread aisle, the cereal aisle. You got the milk because mama wanted the milk. You went back home, no shoes and you got home you picked up your feet and they were black as night all right were they not right you didn't had all the germs from everybody in the county on the bottom of your feet and then you just went outside and played like that okay that's grocery store feet that's what these guys feet were like and so hear me in this time it was customary for the homeowner to have the guest feet washed that was a normal thing 
but it was a servant who did it. And in this moment, Jesus defies culture. And Jesus models what it looked like to have a servant attitude. And he got up from the table. And he took the basin of water. And he washed every one of their feet, including the very man who would betray him to his death just hours later. So Jesus, he was the model of what it looked like to live with a servant attitude. And a disciple, somebody who's growing up in their faith, multiplying themselves, they live that way. They live with a servant attitude. So let me ask you a a pretty personal question today. How are you doing at living with a servant attitude? As a student, spouse, employee, how are you doing at living with a servant attitude? What about in your household? How are you doing at living as a servant to your family? Is it this back and forth constant where your spouse or your parents are having to pry your, your face off the phone? Or out of Netflix just to try to get you to do something around the house? How are you doing at living as a servant in your household? Jesus modeled that. How are you doing at living as a servant in your workplace? You're like, what you talking about? I'm an employee at my workplace. I work because I get paid there. I get that. I get that. But listen to me. Are you always looking to pass off the less favorable projects to somebody else? Are you always looking for an opportunity so that you don't have to get tied in with that thing that you don't really enjoy? Are you choosing to live as a team player, as an employee, maybe even as a boss at your workplace? You see, somebody who's growing up in their faith, they model this. They live with this servant attitude. What about this? How are you doing at living as a servant in your your church family, in your church community? Did you know that we have over like a dozen teams that serve every single week in our house to give life to other people? Like there's, there's literally, there's over a hundred people who have served this week so that you can do exactly what you're doing right now. hundred people who've, who've tried to take on the attitude of a servant. We have people who serve from Sunday mornings to Wednesday nights to during the weekend to clean our building so it's ready for Sunday mornings to leading life groups all week long to give life to other people. Can I just say this? Some of you do that. I mean, you are, you're the backbone that makes our family work. It ain't built on the voice of one or the face of a few. It's built on the servant attitude of many, many people. And God calls us to live that way. So let me ask you, how are you doing at serving your church family? Where's your role where you're living out the attitude of a servant in your spiritual community? And I know, I know, like it's so easy to lay out the excuses. Well, listen, my work schedule's crazy. I got all this going on. I got the kids. We got to take care of the kids. I got the kids. That's my service. Or, or you know what? I don't have gifts. Like I don't have this experience or the knowledge that they have. Listen to me. Can I tell you something? Man, every single week we have people who show up and, and, and make sacrifices to serve. We have people who work all night work shifts and show up the next morning just to serve other people. We have single moms with three, four, and five kids who show up every single week to give life to people just like you. We have people who have never even sniffed a high school diploma, and God uses them every single week in whatever role to point people to Jesus. So let me ask you, what's your excuse? Here's what scripture says. 1 Peter 4.10, each of you, Not some of you. It says each of you 
should use whatever gift. Well, I don't have their gift. No, you use whatever gift you have. You have received to do what? To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Listen to me. I ain't trying to get up in your business, but I'm just telling you that somebody who is growing up in their faith, which is what we're trying to all do, okay, they're multiplying themselves. And the way they're multiplying themselves is they live with a servant attitude. Whatever I got, God, whatever the time is, whatever the experience is, I'm going to use it. So how are you doing at living with a servant attitude in your household, in your workplace, with your classmates, in your church family? See, somebody who's maturing, multiplying, they live with a servant attitude, more and more like Jesus. Go back to Philippians 2. Pick up in verse 8. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Second thing I think this passage points to that Jesus modeled on how to multiply yourselves is he lived with selfless obedience. Jesus modeled selfless obedience. In verse 8, Paul describes literally the most powerful moment of obedience in human history. When Jesus left the prominence and the power of heaven, Paul says he humbled himself, went from God to man, and then went all the way to the cross so that you and I could have life. That's the ultimate example of selfless obedience. Like, we'll, we'll never do anything on earth that will ever equal to that. But you know what we're called to do? To try to model that. To live as selfless obedience. As we grow up, if we're maturing, we're growing in that more and more every day. So, literally, what does it look like for you to live that way? Like, we're not Jesus. So, what does it look like for you as a student or as a single parent, a spouse, a grandparent? What does it look like for you to live with selfless obedience everyday life? Well, I think one of the ways is through giving yourself away through disciple-making relationships, just like we talked about last week, learning and leading others. See, one of our core values that maybe you've seen across the hall, one of our core values here in our house is that we exchange keeping for dispersing is how we say it. We exchange keeping for dispersing. We put a little definition on it. Look at the definition on the screen. Keeping for dispersing says, don't be a knowledge hoarder always keeping what you've learned to yourself. As you learn more about God and his word, share it with other people. This is how we multiply. See, one of the ways that we multiply ourselves is by living selflessly obedient, by giving ourselves away through disciple-making relationships. This means that you look for opportunities to be just like David earlier for Austin, or like Linda was last week for Georgette. When you find opportunities where you can take what God's teaching you, what he's doing in you, and you share that with the life of somebody else. Again, I know, I know, I know. It's so easy to roll out the excuses. Like our flesh just defaults to the excuses. We're like, well, listen, I don't know my Bible enough. I, I, I didn't go to seminary, right? Or I, I just don't have a lot of time. Or you know what? I don't, I don't, what if they ask questions that I don't know the answer to? There's no way I can invest in somebody else. But listen to me. God isn't looking for people who've arrived, who got it all together. He's just looking for people who are willing and obedient, who will take what God's teaching them and invest it into the life of somebody else. That's how we live selflessly, and that's how we multiply. So what does this mean? Well, for some of you, this means that God may be calling you to lead a life group. For couples, 
for men, for women, for students, and you're like, no, not us. No, we ain't doing that. What if God called you to? What would you tell him? And for some of you, it means investing as a mentor in a life-to-life relationship. I just don't have the time. There's so much. Listen, it's not a question of if he's called us to it. It's a question of if we will be obedient. See, part of growing up in your faith, living like Jesus, selfless obedience. We give ourselves away in a disciple-making relationship. Why? So that we multiply. I think there's a second way that we live selflessly obedient, um, and it's this. It's this by being marked by generosity. Scripture says this. Scripture says part of maturing in your faith is realizing that the financial resources that's in your account, in your wallet, in your whatever that you have, they ultimately don't belong to us. All of it belongs to God. And watch this. Watch this. He entrusts different amounts to us to watch this. See if we will trust him back. Listen to me. It ain't a money game. It's a trust test. It's not a money game. Giving it about your money, it's about your heart. Who do you trust? Who's a better money money manager, you or God? Who will you trust more, him or you? I'm just telling you, he's pretty solid. He won't let you down. And scripture says that we would be marked by generosity, that that we would trust God with tithes and offerings and then we would look for ways to be generous to other people as there are needs. And listen to the promise, okay? You're like, well, I could never do that. Listen to the promise. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. It says, one person gives freely, the generous, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Scripture says there is the promise of God's provision for those who choose to live selflessly through generosity. In other words, he's faithful. I'm just telling you, in all of my life, I've never seen somebody um, who, who trusts God with their tithes and offerings or lives generously to others. I've never seen somebody who lives that way and then is like mad about it. Like, oh, man, I can't believe God's calling me to tithe. Like, oh, I was generous to somebody. That stunk. That wasn't any fun. Like, man, I didn't see obedience in that. Like, I've never seen that. Why? Because Scripture says that, man, those who refresh others, those who trust God, they'll be taken care of. He's got you. He just wants to know if you trust him. So what happens? Somebody who's selflessly obedient, they're multiplying themselves. What do they do? Give themselves away. Disciple-making relationship. Trust God with the resources that he's entrusted to them. It's two ways. Last three verses of our passage, don't miss them. Philippians 2 verse 9. It says, therefore God exalted him, Jesus. He exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that's above every name, no name like his, that at the name of Jesus, every knee one day, it will bow in heaven on earth and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Final thing this passage points to, Jesus modeled it, how to multiply ourselves, is he lived with a sacrificial passion. Sacrificial passion. The attitude of a servant, he was selflessly obedient, and he lived with a sacrificial passion. Scripture says that because Jesus humbled himself, went from God to man, he was obedient to death on a cross, as a result of that sacrifice, he demonstrated the heart of God. He modeled God's heart. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Here's what it says about God. It says, The Lord, he is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. 
Instead, here it is, heart of God, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The desire of God the Father is that everyone would come to repentance, that they would exchange old life of sin and self, and they would find a new life of hope and purpose and truth only in Jesus. That's the heart of God the Father. And do you know what Jesus did? He modeled it. Because of his sacrificial passion on the cross, he fulfilled the desire of the Father. And Jesus opened the door for all people to know God. He modeled sacrificial passion. And now here's what Scripture commands us as Jesus' disciples to do. You ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is our foundational passage. I want to read it to you from the message translation. Verse 18, 2 Corinthians 5. It says, God put the world square with himself through the Messiah. I love how that explains that. Man, he aligned us. He gave us the opportunity to know him. Giving the world, that's you and me, a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. Now, here's the action point. You ready, disciples? God has given us, you and me, the church, the task of telling everyone what he was doing. We are Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade, to teach men and women to drop their differences and to enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking, we're living for Christ himself now. Become friends with God is what we say. He's already a friend with you. If you are in Christ, and there's a lot of you if I asked that question and took a poll today, you'd go, yep, that's me. If you're in Christ, then you're a disciple. And if you're a disciple, then you are a representative of Jesus. That means that we have the greatest message humanity will ever be given. That although we were sinful people, far and apart from God, with no way to get ourselves back, that Jesus, through his sacrificial passion, he opened the door back to relationship with God. That's crazy. That's the message. And the obedient response of somebody who is growing up in their faith is not that we would just trust Christ, but it's that we would live with a relentless, sacrificial passion that other people might know the same Jesus that we know. See, the call to trust and follow is always coupled with the call to go and share. For some of you, that means sharing your faith story, how you came to know Jesus and what he's doing in your life, sharing your faith story with a coworker or a classmate this week. God's calling you to schedule that lunch. Have that conversation. For some of you, that means taking a stand for truth among your friends or at your workplace, that you would stand for righteousness in your world. For some of you, that means that you would be a representative of Jesus to your spouse or to your parents who maybe don't know him. For some of you, that may mean that God calls you vocationally with your job to serve him full-time with your life. Listen to me, church. If you don't catch anything else today, catch this. The goal, of a, the goal of a disciple is not to keep it to yourself, but it's to give it away. The goal of a disciple is not to keep it to yourself. It's to give it away. 
Scripture tells us that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, but you are not giving yourself away through serving, through teaching others, through generosity, through sharing your faith with those people who are far from God, then you are not multiplying. And if you're not multiplying, you're not maturing. Because healthy things grow and growing things multiply. And the goal of the disciple is not to keep it to yourself, but it's to give it away. And you know who is the greatest example? Jesus. Jesus came with a servant attitude, selfless obedience, and a sacrificial passion as hard as that was. And as a result of that, Jesus multiplied himself in such a way that we as sinners now have a chance of a relationship with a holy God. Discipleship isn't just growing up, but it's giving it away by multiplying. So again, let me ask you a very personal question. How are you giving yourself away? Think about it. How are you giving yourself away? Let's read it one last time. Ephesians chapter 4 says this. God wants us to grow up. All of us to know the whole truth and to tell it. Don't keep it to yourself, but to tell it in love, just like who? Just like Jesus in everything. We take our lead from him. He's the best example. He's the source of everything we do, and he keeps us in step with each other. Man, we got to know him. His very breath and blood flow through us. His spirit in us nourishes us. It unifies us. It grows us so that we will grow healthy in God, and robust in love. God has called all of us, every single one of us, to grow up in our faith. But the only way that we will grow up is to identify where we are, mature in Christ, learn from and lead others, and ultimately multiply ourselves, just like Jesus did. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.